0: Reading from Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 to 29 today therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell down with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Good evening, everyone. So nice to be with you. So nice to be finishing off the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I hope you've been encouraged tonight. I certainly have. Um, Boy, our God is good, isn't he? Um, I'm going to pray and uh, ask for God's help for tonight because um, this this is a a tricky passage. It's it's a passage that packs a big punch and it's in a kind of a deceptive little disguise. We might underestimate it. So I I want to pray for God's help for us as we come to this passage and then we'll have a think about it together. Let's pray. Lord God, we need your grace right now, Uh, grace so that we would hear grace so that we would not be distracted, grace so that we would believe, and grace so that we would obey. So please be gracious to us. Amen. Uh, Before we get too far into it, I wonder, could you just turn to the person around you, whoever's nearby, and could you, each of you, share just something that you are wrestling with in life at the moment? What is a choice that you are facing that you are having to make a decision about at this moment? Could be big or small, doesn't really matter, just go for 20, 30 30 seconds, share with the person next to you, what's the choice that you are wrestling with in life right now? Uh, All right, that's long enough. I'm not expecting you to solve these decisions, these choices for each other, but begin to share them. Uh, The reason I do that is because I want to start tonight by talking about choices. I want you to have in your mind what it is that you are sort of wrestling with and deciding about at the moment. The choices that we we make in life are really, really important. Uh, We make choices every single day, big choices, small choices, but all of our choices do gradually over time or sometimes very immediately shape the people that we are, the people we become. And also the, the choices that we make, strangely also kind of reveal the people that we are, the decisions that we make, don't they? I think so about perhaps the choice about whether you turn up to work tomorrow, that's a choice that shapes who you are and reveals something about it, who you are. Uh, the choice of whether you will pour yourself an extra drink, shapes who you are, reveals who you are. The choice of whether you are going to study for that exam that you've got coming up, the choice of whether you will click on that website that you know you shouldn't, the choice of whether you will forgive that person who's hurt you, the choice of whether you will spend time with your family, the choice of whether you will flirt with that person in the office. We have all sorts of choices, big and small all the time, that shape and reveal the kind of people we are. But there are different categories of choices and so that's what I want to think through with you first. I want to give you some categories to think about the choices that you are making in your life. There is, of course, the best category of choice, and it's a win-win choice. You know those kind of situations we're talking about? Win-win kind of a choice. That's that's the best when you come across one of those. I think, sadly, often we don't really realise that the situation we're in is, from time to time, a win-win kind of a choice, because for most of us, uh, decisions kind of paralyse us. We feel crippled by the weight of indecision. Uh, So you think about, perhaps, what uni you're going to go to when you graduate high school or, you know, what job or what career might you want to try and pursue or whether you're going to buy this phone or that phone. I mean, there's lots of those kinds of decisions that you might spend hours deliberating about, but really, at the end of the day, it's win-win. Whatever you pick in those kind of scenarios, you're going to come out ahead. It's going to be okay. Thankfully, that's a lot of the choices that we make. But there are, of course, the complete opposite of those sort of choices. There are lose-lose choices that you must make from time to time. Those kinds of decisions that you cannot duck from. You have to pick. And neither option seems good. Uh, And both, whatever you pick there is going to involve some sort of pain, some sort of discomfort in your life, some difficulty. That's a a lose-lose choice. I I have to say, I had the distinct sense of being in a lose-lose kind of a situation last week when I stepped into the polling booth uh, on Saturday. I don't know if you felt the same as me. All you can do in those kind of situations is just take a deep breath and hope that whatever option you pick is not as bad as you imagine it's gonna be. You know those lose-lose situations. There are, of course, though, that middle ground of win-lose situations, win-lose kind of choices. Those are important ones, really important ones. Because if you get it right, it will go well for you. And if you get it wrong, often something very bad, very catastrophic is going to happen. That's a real conundrum, those win-lose choices. You've got to think hard about what you're going to do in those scenarios. That is the category of choice that Jesus gives to us tonight. In this Bible passage that we come to as we finish the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus puts before you and I a win-lose kind of a choice. And it's a choice that I'm telling you now is going to be more important than any other choice you will make in your entire life. It's not a choice that you can avoid. You will make this choice one way or another, even when you're trying to avoid it. It's a choice that will define you as a person and it will reveal something about you far more than any decision about what uni you go to or where you end up living or anything else. The choice Jesus is going to put to us is the choice of what... Or who will be the foundation of our lives? That's what we're talking about tonight. What or who will be the foundation of your life? The story that this is packaged in though it's a very familiar kind of a children's story you find it in every kid's bible because it's so easy to sort of visualize what's going on here maybe you sang that you know little children's song we've already heard nick sing one of his children's songs earlier today so i won't spoil you with the rendition of the rain coming down and the floods going up but it's, it's easy to underestimate what jesus is saying in this story because it's often so familiar but jesus is making a very very serious point in this story And so, friends, I'm saying this to try and set your expectations tonight, that the things that we are going to be talking about are not light. They are serious. They are of eternal consequence. What we're going to see tonight in this little story is Jesus put before us a choice of building on two foundations. And from there, he's going to show that there are then two outcomes depending on how you build your life. And he's going to conclude by putting putting to us one decision that we all must make. Two foundations to start. You know the story, you know how it goes. There are two builders, and there's one who builds his house on the rock, and there's the other who builds their house on the sand and it should go without saying jesus is not giving literal building advice here that's not what's going on we actually had some builders at our house uh, a couple of weeks ago and i told them that i was preaching on this passage they were putting in some sandstone blocks in our garden and they said oh you know what actually building on sand is not a bad idea you know that's it, a lot of people are doing that these days and i said no don't tell me that that's not the point of what jesus is saying it's a metaphor is is what's going on here about what you build your life on Uh, As I said, we've just been going through this whole building process. My family and I, we've just built a house recently over the last couple of years or so. And uh, we loved sort of watching from behind the fence of what was going on on that building site. The very first thing, once they clear the land, of course, is to lay this giant concrete foundation, trucks of concrete coming and pouring and laying this very heavy, very solid, very immovable foundation for the house that's going to go up on top of it. And actually, once the foundation is laid, everything else in the house pops up very quickly. Uh, and so you can see there on the next couple of slides, the frame goes up and then they just slap some bricks on it and, hey, presto, you've got a house. And then you have to wait for 12 months before they give it to you. But <laughs> the point is that the, the foundation, once it is set well, then you're pretty much okay. Everything that follows after that just kind of grows out of the foundation. The foundation sets the shape for what kind of a thing is going to be built on top of it. And it's the same with our lives, you see. We all have something as the foundation of our lives, and it's something which sets the shape of what we build, of the life that we live. It's just a matter of what that foundation is, right? Well, Jesus here simplifies it all and he says really at the end of the day there's only two things you can build your life on rock or sand you can either verse 24 obey jesus's words put his words into practice or you can not do that and build on something else that's it that's your choices two choices it's a binary thing rock or sand there's nothing else that you can build your life on and I get that that's, that's quite a confronting thing, isn't it? I, what if I don't agree to those two categories? What if I think that you know, some other foundation for my life might be stable? Well, Jesus doesn't agree. He says, no, there's two. And he's been saying that all chapter, hasn't he? He's told us that there are two paths for your life: a narrow path and a broad path, one that leads to life, one that leads to destruction. He's told us that there are two trees, a good tree or a bad tree, and you will be one or the other. And here again, he gives us just two options: rock. sand obey his words or disregard them that's your option verse 24 he says therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock now the question you should be asking is what does he mean by these words of mine what is it what is it he actually wants us to listen to and to obey and I think there's a pretty obvious answer, I hope the answer's obvious, that at the very least he's talking about everything he's just said in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, this sermon that he's given, his first major public address in Matthew's Gospel, which is kind of like a summary of what Jesus stands for, a summary of what it will be like if you become a follower of Jesus and a citizen of the kingdom. Jesus has, in a summary form, laid that all out for us about what your life looks like if you follow him. You will love God, you will love your enemies, you will trust God in the hard times you will pursue purity and righteousness all of those things that Nick so helpfully prayed for as we reflected on all that we've learnt over the course of this term you put those things that Jesus has taught into practice in your life and you let that be the solid foundation on which everything else in your life is built that's building on the rock or you disregard what Jesus says You live your life however you want, and you let something else dictate the shape of your life. Let something else be your foundation, maybe your career or your family or your body or literally anything else in this world that is not the words of Jesus. That's the sand. Jesus is doing something very stark here, right? He is dividing humanity into two groups of people, those who obey him and those who don't. And it... It should be obvious, right, which one Jesus wants here. <laughs> he wants us to be in that group that, that listen to him and do what he says. He wants our obedience. That's really what Jesus is after at this point in the Sermon on the Mount. He wants us to live this way. He, he's not satisfied for us just to simply listen to him, for us just to simply know a little bit of stuff about him, for us to be even impressed by him. That's not enough for Jesus. If you do all of those things, listen to him, be impressed by him, memorise the things that he says, but you stop short of actually living them out, Jesus says you are building your life on sinking sand. (laughs) Jesus wants us to actually put into practice the things that he teaches. Now, I'm I'm really trying to emphasise that because that is the big point of this passage. But please don't mishear me yes obedience is important it's vital in fact what i'm not saying though and what jesus is not saying at this point is that obeying him will earn you your salvation please don't hear me saying that that's not what's going on do you remember how the sermon on the mount started the beatitudes the first beatitude blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven It is the people who who know that they are spiritually bankrupt and who come to God empty-handed. They are the ones who receive the kingdom of heaven. So, no, it's not about earning your salvation through obedience. You can't do that. The, The main thing that Jesus has been teaching and will continue to teach throughout the rest of the gospel is that you must receive the kingdom, not achieve it. It's not about what you do for Jesus, but what he has done for you. You put all your weight on him, receive it as a gift. And then once you've done that, you start to obey your king. If you've received God's kingdom freely through nothing that you've done, well, then you will start to obey your king, won't you? Out of love, out of loyalty. That's the test, actually, about whether you have received God's kingdom, whether you obey the king. Let's be really, really frank at this point. If we don't obey Jesus, then we cannot really claim that we believe him. Do you get that? If, if we don't have any interest in doing the things that he says, what right do we have to say yeah, I trust Jesus, I follow him. Let me try and sort of spell this out for you. Um, you know when you're walking through the city and those people uh, who are standing in the middle of you know, the plaza uh, collecting money for various charities, try and get your attention, they always try and make eye contact and they step out and say hello and You know, shake their jar and that sort of thing. And you try as much as you can to avoid eye contact, pretend you're on your phone so you don't get cornered by them and stuff. But inevitably it happens, doesn't it? You get cornered by one of these people and they give you their sales pitch for whatever their cause is and why they think it's so important and why you should give financially to support this this worthy cause. I think in those situations you should ask that person a question. I think you should ask them whether they give their money to this charity or not. Uh, I I dare you to ask that actually of them next time Uh, I'm sure occasionally some of those people do but I reckon the majority of them probably don't because they're being paid to be there it's their job to go and collect money out of people you see if they were really convinced about the thing that they were selling this this great cause that they say is so important they should put their money where their mouth is shouldn't they those those charity collectors that's fair enough right Friends, if, if we say that Jesus is the most important thing in the world, that, that he is our king and we follow him, it's fair enough to expect that we put our money where our mouth is, isn't it? That, that, that we see some evidence in our lives of actually obeying Jesus? The, the question that Jesus is forcing you to answer at this point in the Sermon on the Mount is whether you are putting into practice the things that he has just taught you over these last nine weeks. I hope as you think about that question, and you think about what we've covered over these last weeks, I hope you've learnt lots of things. I hope your series handbooks are full of notes. I hope you can remember some of what we've learnt, maybe even memorise those sections of scripture. But I hope that the words of Jesus haven't just stopped at your ears, but that they have gone down into your heart and out into your hands and your feet as well. Let me ask you, can you, as you look back over the last couple of months, point to ways that you have sought to be obedient to the words of your king over the last couple of months? I'm talking very specifically here. Can you tell me how you are living differently now compared to how you were living two months ago? That's the question Jesus is putting to us. I really hope you can identify that and see how you are living out the words that Jesus has spoken to you. Because sadly, it is very easy to merely listen to Jesus, isn't it? To do nothing with what you hear. Jesus has a word for those people. The word is fools. He says that the people who hear what he says and then... Get on with the rest of their life. They're the foolish ones. The wise people are the ones who actually live it out and obey him. Now, why would Jesus say that such a person is a fool? Well, because Jesus knows that there is going to be a day that comes in the future which exposes the foundations of your life and tests them. We've seen there are only two foundations that you can build your life on. The second thing Jesus is going to show us is that each of those foundations has a different outcome. Now, the tension in this little story that Jesus tells, it comes in the form of this great storm which descends upon both buildings. Now, uh, if you're wondering what is it that this storm refers to, it's a good question to ask. What is Jesus actually envisioning here? Some people think that what Jesus is referring to is is all the hard stuff in life. So when life gets tough, when there's sickness and suffering and sorrow and trials and that sort of thing, that's what he's referring to and that'll show what foundation you've really built your life on. But I think Jesus is actually talking about something much bigger than that. I think Jesus is talking about the storm of God's judgment. The Bible is very clear that there is a day in the future that God has set when he will judge the earth. And he will call every person who has ever lived to stand before him and to give an account for their lives. The Bible speaks about that day, in fact, throughout the Old Testament in terms of storm language, a catastrophic storm that will devour. And Jesus has made mention of that day of judgment, if you've been looking for it, all the way throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, In fact, in the verses immediately before our passage, That's what Jesus has got in mind. Let me just show you so you can be convinced about this. When Jesus is talking about those those two trees, the good and the bad tree, he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit, verse 19, is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's the day of judgment that Jesus is talking about there. That's when those trees will be cut down. Or verse 23, immediately before, when he's talking about those two different types of people who claim to know him, to some of them he will say, I tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That is day of judgment language that Jesus is using there. That's what Jesus is talking about. The day when the God who made us will judge us. So do you see that this story here, Jesus is not just telling it to give us a bit of life advice, to teach us about how to get through life with all its ups and downs. He's teaching us how to get through death, something far more important. In light of the coming storm of God's judgment, there is a wise way and a foolish way to live. If you've built your life on the solid foundation of Christ, then that storm poses no threat to you. Jesus says, verse 25, that despite the rain and the rising streams and the beating wind, that house built on that rock will stand. God's judgment, his wrath against your sin has already been taken by jesus on the cross and so it's those people who will enter into the kingdom of heaven but the house that's been built on sand will be decimated jesus says it will fall with a great crash those people will experience the full force of the just judgment of God against their sin. Again, let me clarify at this point. The issue of whether you will stand or fall on that day is not about how good of a building you've built, what sort of a life you've lived, how much good you've done for Jesus. No bearing. Uh, The issue is not about where uh, what you've built but rather where you've built if you've built on christ you will stand you see even the the weakest christian life built upon jesus is much stronger than the greatest fortress built on the beach where you have built that's what will determine whether you stand or fall on that day those are the only two outcomes heaven or hell Let's sink in for a minute. That's hard to believe, isn't it? That every person who does not obey Jesus will be decimated by God's judgment. The sand that they are building their lives on, think about the, the non-Christian people you, that you know. Jesus says their lives are on sand. Well, the sand looks pretty safe to me, doesn't it? It's hard to believe that one day, they are going to be decimated. Do you remember back in 2004, the, uh, the great tsunami that hit the west coast of Indonesia? It was the third largest earthquake ever measured in the history of the earth. Uh, it killed hundreds of thousands of people. I know many of you were not alive at that point, but perhaps you've heard of it. You remember, if you were alive back then, watching the news reports and, and learning, I remember learning about how a tsunami worked at that point. And it's, and it's like a normal wave, but just on a massive scale, where in a normal wave, you've been to the beach, you know that when a wave is coming, the water first kind of recedes out a little bit before it comes back in and then it does it again, right? In a tsunami, that happens, but it's just on a grand scale. And so what happened in Indonesia was that this water started to rush out and out, and out, and out towards the ocean, leaving hundreds of metres of open sand for people to walk on. And there were some people, there were reports of some people who, who recognised that as a sign of coming danger and who fled to high ground. Sadly, many of the beachgoers had no idea what was going on, and so they just wandered out onto the sand to, to look at the seashells that had been exposed, oblivious to the coming danger that was looming. As you know, the wave did come back. And those people who thought they were safe on sand perished. Friends, building your life on sand, it might look safe right now, but there is a great danger approaching. This is a very sobering warning from Jesus, isn't it? Uh, especially as this is. <laughs> This is the very last thing Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, talk about a downer. I mean, shouldn't he finish with something a little bit more uplifting? That's what we get taught when we learn how to preach, is like, don't bum people out when you finish. Jesus didn't get taught that. I mean, what is he doing here? Is he trying to frighten us? Is he trying to frighten people into responding and becoming his followers? That's exactly what he's doing, actually. Do you get that? You see, there are some people who are drawn to Jesus because of the appeal of the, the forgiveness that he offers them, the, the offer of completely wiping away every wrong that they have ever done. Some people are drawn to Jesus that way. Some people are drawn to Jesus when they just get a glimpse of the immensity of his love or of the integrity of his character. Praise God that people come to Jesus that way. But I tell you that there are many people who choose to bend the knee and become followers of Jesus because they feel the weight of of eternity bearing down upon them. They sense the reality of heaven and hell and God's judgment and they grasp that time is short. Friends, there there is a holy fear that we are supposed to feel at this point as we hear our creator warning us against the consequences of rejecting him. If you feel uncomfortable right now as Jesus puts these two outcomes before you, I want to say that's maybe not a bad thing. That discomfort may actually be God's grace to you in this moment. As his spirit convicts you to get off the sand and to flee to the rock of refuge that is Jesus Christ. There is then for every single one of us a choice that must be made. And as I said before, it is the most important choice you will ever make in your life. What will you do when you've heard the words of Jesus? Will you trust and obey Him? Build your life upon Him? Or not? Matthew, as he writes his gospel, he wants to sort of leave us with this sense that Jesus really is right to demand that we do that. Matthew wants to show us the authority that jesus has to tell every person on the planet to build their lives on him and so look at the way he finishes this little story here in verse 28 and 29 when jesus had finished saying these things the sermon the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law The crowds are amazed at this point because they understand that Jesus has been making some massive claims about his authority all the way throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember? For instance, he's just said here in this passage that uh, human wisdom and human folly uh, are shown in how people respond to his words. Jesus is the measuring stick. That's his claim. That's massive. Uh, Bigger still, Jesus had actually claimed that obeying his words is the same thing as doing the will of God in heaven. Did you pick up on that? The contrast between this passage and last week's passage. Look with me back to verse 21 of last week's passage. Uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to enter the kingdom of heaven then, Jesus? He says, only the one who who does the will of my Father in heaven. Okay, so that's who's going to get into heaven. What has he just told us in verse verse 24 of our passage? Who's going to enter heaven? It's the one who obeys his words, doing the will of the Father in heaven and obeying Jesus' words. Jesus saying they're the same thing. That's a massive claim, isn't it? Does Jesus really possess the authority of God? Matthew certainly wants us to come to that conclusion, doesn't he? Do you remember, actually, if you don't remember, come here next week, next Sunday, and you'll find out, uh, the Easter story, as it comes to an end in Matthew's gospel, and the resurrected Jesus stands on that hill with his disciples. Remember what he tells them? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's the last thing Jesus says in his gospel. How much authority? Some? No. Most? Most? All authority has been given to Jesus. Jesus really is the one who decides our eternal destinies. Heaven and hell rest on his verdict of us. Not on our performance, praise God, but on his, his verdict of us. The question is, will we listen to the one who has All authority. There's a a famous kind of apocryphal story, which I I suspect many of you will have heard before, uh, about a naval ship that's on a collision course. And the captain of the ship sees something on the radar which he realises that he will hit unless one of them changes course. And so he gets on the radio and he radios to this other entity and he says, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. And the response comes back on the radio. Uh, No, you divert your course 15 degrees to the south. (laughs) The captain's a bit bit flustered and he gets back on the radio and he says, "Uh, we are an aircraft carrier of the US Navy. We recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the north. Another quick reply on the other side of the radio. No, you divert your course 15 degrees south. The captain's not used to being said no to at this point, so he's getting more agitated. And so the third time he gets on the radio and he says... We are the second largest ship in the US Navy. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, multiple support vessels. Divert your course 15 degrees to the north, or else countermeasures will be enacted to ensure the safety of this ship and its crew. Final reply comes back on the radio. This is the lighthouse. Your call. (laughs) Jesus's authority is not up for grabs. It's not to be debated. You cannot skirt around it. You cannot escape it. Jesus has all authority, and he demands obedience. Uh, commentators point out in these verses the irony that the attitude of the crowds at this point is that they are amazed by Jesus' teaching. Uh, they they understand Jesus' authority. That's good, but it's it's not sufficient, is it? Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants followers. Recognising Jesus' authority, it gets you nowhere unless you correct course. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is that lighthouse. And it is your call. You have heard the words of Jesus. And so what will you now build your life on? Let me pray for us. Loving Lord Jesus, Thank you that you care enough about us to warn us of that day of coming judgment when we will stand before your Father's throne and when the foundations of our lives will be laid bare. Jesus, thank you that there is a way to stand and survive that day. And thank you that that way is you. Jesus, please help us to be people who don't just hear what you say, but who do it, who build our very lives on it. Please help us. Amen.